This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. Go ahead and grab a seat. If it's your first time here, I want to welcome you to New Life. I'm so glad you're here. Maybe you came because a friend is getting baptized today and they invited you to come. Welcome. Hope you enjoy it. Maybe you're here because someone promised you lunch afterwards and you thought, well, that seems like a good deal. Glad you're here. I know you're going to enjoy it. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and it's my privilege to guide us today as we continue to engage with God. It's just going to be an absolutely wonderful day. You probably noticed from the, uh, from the horse troughs uh, that either we are a really, really odd church, which uh, might be, or that we're having baptisms today, and we're having baptisms today, which is so fun. If you're brand new to Christianity, brand new to the church, I'll tell you all about what baptisms are a little bit later. Um, But for now, just know that we're going to have some friends who are going to celebrate their faith in God through this practice called baptism. And we're very, very excited about that today. Uh, And we had someone first service, a friend of ours who's been coming for a handful of months. He actually got here today. We thought he was going to be traveling to Florida. He cut his trip short so he could get baptized with us in first service. It was so fun, such a special thing to see. So glad you're here. It's great that you're here on Baptism Sunday. Uh, We're launching a brand new series today. So it's kind of like you get to see uh, the prologue of a book or the intro to a really good book. We're going to lay some things out that I'm excited about. And if you were here for our last series, Modern Family, I want to share with you a little bit bit about why I do teaching series the way I do. My thought is I want us to press hard on the accelerator of a topic, looking at it from all angles and areas, giving us lots of application points, lots of next steps to really press into that. And that's what Modern Family was. And for many of us, including myself, it gave us lots of things to think about, uh, lots of steps we want to take in our marriage, with our children, in our family relationships. And then the next series we usually do after that is a series that's not so much a ton of action points, but it's, uh, it's paradigm shifting. It's thought process shifting. It's helping us go deeper, um, zooming out and going deeper on certain topics. And so that's what we're going to do with this series. The reason I do that is because I don't want to, I don't want to do a 180 on you guys. I don't want to say, okay, we're going to press into family and then starting this week, we're now we're going to press into into work or we're going to press into finances because that's what our culture does all the time. It says, okay, do this and this and this and this and do them all really well. And we realize we're just spinning our wheels and we can't do it all as well as we want to. And so what I want to do is I want us to press into this family idea. If your life groups, you know, you want to spend a few more weeks talking about some of those uh, sermons we talked about, press into that. Uh, And then in the process, we're going to have a little bit of a release time from the action points. And we're going to think deeply and think differently about a topic as we head towards Easter for the next four weeks. So uh, when you came in, you should have received a program. It's got this card that says start here. This is our connection card. I want to encourage you, grab that and fill it out. I'll tell you what to do with it a little later. It's got some teaching notes that you're going to want to grab. Go ahead and get those out. They'll tell you where we're going as we launch into our series, Top Shelf Jesus. Now, uh, some of you right away know exactly what that refers to. Others don't. A third group is just lying. And I would warn you, okay— I would warn you, if you're lying, you know this roof leaks, so we know water can get through. My guess is lightning can get through, too. Just throwing it out there. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It's a joke, man. It's a joke. Top shelf Jesus. It refers to, uh, if you've ever been to a bar, uh, you know that the best alcohol, the really good stuff, is always on the top shelf behind the bartender. Uh, That's the stuff that's the most expensive That top shelf alcohol is not for everyday consumption. It is like special occasions 
only, uh, top shelf alcohol is only for a select few group of people. Either you're extremely rich and you can afford it, or you're extremely in debt because you're fronting like you can afford it. That's where the top shelf alcohol always hangs out. And here's the thing you know about top shelf alcohol. It's only for a select group, and it can only be accessed by an even smaller group. The bartenders, the women and men who are behind the bar, have to bring it off the top shelf and bring it down to you for consumption. Now, if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap that thinks God is like a delicious bottle of top-shelf alcohol. And here's why. We know that God is, is big. God is, is bold. God is awesome. God is, is altogether other than anything we've ever experienced. And because of that, humans throughout history have this tendency of keeping God on the top shelf of our lives and only bringing him down for special occasions. We assume, just like a good bottle of top-shelf alcohol, that top-shelf Jesus uh, should only be brought down by a select few group of people, either extremely religious people. Uh, they could be your, your life group leaders. Maybe they can bring God off the top shelf and give him to me. It could be your pastor or your priest. Maybe, maybe they can bring God off the top shelf and give him to me, but for sure I can't get to top shelf Jesus by myself. I need someone, a go-between, to bring Jesus off the top shelf and bring him to me. And what I want to do today as we launch this series is just get us thinking about this topic. So if you leave this morning and you think to yourself, oh, I'd never really put that together. I've done my job. If you leave this morning thinking to yourself, I don't know if I agree about that. I better come back and see what he's going to say. I've done my job. If you leave this morning thinking to yourself, oh, I'm kind of intrigued. I've done my job. See, our goal is not to ramp through an entire uh, idea in one half hour. Our goal is to slow cook an idea. We say we like to crockpot things around here because we all know that, that crockpotting is better than microwaving. Microwave food will sustain you, but microwave food does not taste delicious like crockpot. When you open that door, it's like, oh yeah, that's slow cooking. That stuff is good. And that's what we want to do with this idea. We want to slow cook it. We want to crockpot it. So today, all I'm going to do is lay out an idea for us about how and why we got to this place in Christianity where God accidentally gets put on the top shelf and doesn't come down to spend life with us down here. And this idea, this concept, is so pervasive in Christian culture today that many of us have fallen into this trap without ever even realizing it. So we're going to do a little inventory for you to see if you've actually fallen into this top shelf um, idea. For example— if you've ever thought to yourself, I need a pastor to tell me what the Bible says because I could never understand it myself, you've fallen into top-shelf Christianity. If you've ever thought to yourself, I need someone more spiritual than me, my life group leader or someone who I know reads the Bible every day, I need someone more spiritual than I am to pray for me because clearly God hears their prayers more than God hears my prayers, you've fallen into top-shelf Christianity. If you've ever thought to yourself, I need to go to confession and confess to a priest before I take communion because only a priest can actually forgive me on my way to get to God. You've fallen into top-shelf Christianity. If you've ever thought, only a pastor should be giving me communion, you've fallen into top-shelf Christianity. If you've ever thought, only a pastor can baptize me, it has to be that, that guy. Usually it's a guy. It has to be that guy. You've fallen into top-shelf Christianity. If you ever thought to yourself, I wish my pastor taught 
out of a transition, a translation of the Bible that's really hard to understand, then you've fallen into top-shelf Christianity because here's what you're thinking. If only the pastor taught out of a really hard translation that I don't understand, then he or she could dumb it down for me and feed it to me in bite-sized spoonfuls. You've fallen into top-shelf Christianity. You're saying, teach me something I don't know. Give me some Greek. Give me some Hebrew. Make me feel dumb and then tell me I, I'm not as dumb as I thought I was. You've fallen into top-shelf Christianity. And my goal for this series is to bring God off the top shelf and into our lives because transformation, life change, experiencing the real life you were created to live, it always happens in relationship with God. Life change doesn't happen when God's up here and we pull him down on special occasions and we have someone give him to us. Life change happens in relationship. That's where the power of God is held. That's the reason why Jesus came to this earth. We're about a month away from Easter, and on Easter, we're going to celebrate that God came to this earth so that we could have a relationship with God that everybody thought was on the top shelf. And Jesus said, no, God is with you. And for thousands of years, Christians have fought to put God back on the top shelf. And for thousands of years, God has tried to bring himself back down. Now, I love history. I was a history major for my undergrad, uh, and I had an eighth-grade history teacher who I loved. And up on her wall, she had this big poster, and it said, those who don't study the past are doomed to repeat it. And I thought that was so intriguing. And what I want to do today is I want to explore the history of top-shelf Christianity, because as I dig into the history of top-shelf Christianity, it's just mind-blowing to think, oh, that's how we got there. That's when God got back up. Oh, that's why we try to bring him back down. And you might not think that's very exciting, but two things. One, it is, and two, I have a microphone. So that's what we're going to talk about today, because I think it's very exciting. And I'm telling you, once you get it, you'll say, oh, That's why my church tradition, my church experience, my childhood that I rebelled from, that's why it was the way it was. Because I'm telling you, almost every part of religion that you railed from as a kid came from top-shelf Christianity. So let's go back a few thousand years, like my friend Kanye says, to the time when Jesus walked uh, with me. When— Somebody walked away with Kanye's money. That's what happened. But that's another sermon. All right. Too soon. Too soon. When Jesus walked on the earth, there were, there were these religious leaders. Uh, it, was, it was a Jewish culture, a Jewish community. Christianity wasn't on the scene. That's something that, uh, that Jesus brought about was the fulfillment of the Jewish tradition. And there were these Jewish religious leaders called Pharisees and teachers of the law. They were the equivalent to modern-day pastors and priests. And here's the thing about the Pharisees. The Pharisees said that they loved the people, but the truth is they didn't. They hated the people that they were supposed to be serving. In fact, they thought the people that they were supposed to be serving, the Jewish people, were the reason that the world had gone to hell in a handbasket. And so these Jewish leaders thought that it was their job to keep God over here and protect God from the people, and then to tell the people how to engage with God. Because they thought if the people were just a little better at engaging with God than what we tell them to do, then everything will be perfect. And Jesus had strong conflict with these religious leaders, these Pharisees and these teachers of the law. In fact, he held his strongest confrontation for the relationship with them because they were top-shelf leaders. And listen to what he says to them in Matthew chapter 23. He says, What sorrow 
Think about that, looking Jesus in the eye, and he says to them, what sorrow awaits you, you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees? Why? Because you are hypocrites. You're hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven, and that's a loaded phrase. After Easter, we're going to spend probably two and a half months digging into what it looks like to engage with God in the kingdom of heaven. I'm so excited about that series. But he says, you shut the door to the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in, and you won't let others go in either. See, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they saw themselves as the gatekeepers to God's presence. If you really want to know God, you have to come through me first. And because of that, they were locking people out from an actual relationship with God. And remember, relationship is where power happens to experience transformation in your life. He would go on to say to the people who were listening, the everyday people, the you and the me, those of us who sat in the seats, he'd go on to say, you don't need the religious establishment. You don't need the religious leaders. What you need is me. I can get you to God because I am God. What he would say to them is, I've left, I've left the top shelf, and I've come down so that we can have relationship. And that terrified the religious leaders, so much so that they plotted together to kill him, and they did. They had him crucified, nailed to a cross. He died, he was buried, and three days later, he rose again. And if you're brand new, and you're here to watch your friend get baptized, and you're just checking out Christianity, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, rose again? Really? Come on. He rose again? He did. He really did, okay? And you got to come back in four weeks because in four weeks on Easter, I'm going to talk about how he rose again. Uh, We're going to talk about the witnesses he had, why he would pick those witnesses. They were like the worst choice to pick. It was a couple of people who had no, like no say, a couple of women who had no say in culture, and Jesus picked them. Why would he do that? What's the significance of that? I'm titling that message, That's What She Said, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be so good. Um, I was going to title it, Easter 2016, how can I offend everybody? But I thought it was too long, so that's what she said. It's going to be so good. So good. He rose from the dead, and and he gathered with hundreds of people. Hundreds of them saw him. And he told them about God, and they saw this risen Savior who conquered death. And when he left, right before he ascended to heaven to be with God the Father, he hammered the point home. He said, here's what you need to know. Don't ever forget this. Matthew 28, verse 20 says, I, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Always. I'm always with you. I'm not up there anymore. I'm down here with you. My spirit is among you. I'm with you in a very real way. If I could, if I could narrow it down, I'd say this. Jesus came to earth to show us that God wants to come off the top shelf and partner with you and I in every area of our lives. That's what God wants. He wants to partner with you. He doesn't want to be pulled off on special occasions. He doesn't want to be handed down by your spiritual bartender. He wants to partner with you because that's where the power of actual life change comes. And things went well for about 60 years. And when I say went well, I should say things were very tough for the early Christians. They, they faced extreme persecution under the Roman Empire. They were like fed to lions. They had to go into the gladiators arena. It was very tough for them, but it went well in the sense that they understood that God is no longer there. God is in a very real way here with us. God's Spirit is with us. And, and as God's with them, even though it's against the law to be a Jesus follower, this movement begins to spread because there's power when God is in our midst. So for about 60 years, things went well. 
And then this religious group popped up, and they tried really hard to put God back on the top shelf. They were called the Gnostics. That word Gnostic in the original Greek language is the word gnosis, which is where we get knowledge. Uh, They said basically this, we've got this hidden knowledge of God that you don't really get. The everyday person could never understand this knowledge of God that we have. So God's up here. The Gnostics said, we've got this hidden knowledge. If you want to know God, you have to come through us. And one of Jesus' good friends, a guy named John, said that's not true. And in two of his letters that we find in the New Testament of the Bible, I believe it is, um, it's either 2nd and 3rd John or 1st and 2nd John. He says this. He says, God, God wants to be with you here. There's no hidden knowledge that only the religious elite know. God's made himself available to everyone. And he fought the Gnostics, and he won, and Gnosticism faded into the distance. And then in the year 312, there was a, if you know your ancient history, if you remember like eighth grade or sophomore year of high school, you'll know that there was this guy named Constantine who wanted to be the Roman emperor. And at the point in 312, he was battling with his brother to see who would become the new Roman emperor after his father died. And as he was marching with his men out to battle, Constantine said that he looked up in the sun and there was a cloud. And out of the cloud came a cross, an image of a cross. And on the cross, it said these words, in this sign, conquer. And so he stopped all of his men, and he got their shields, and he painted crosses on all their shields, and they went out, and he beat his brother, and he became the emperor. And a year later, he, he made uh, Christianity the official religion of Rome. It was the religion of the Roman Empire. The problem was, when Christianity became the religion of the Roman Empire, Christianity became a lot more empire and a lot, more, and a lot less religion. That relationship was gone because all of a sudden, if you wanted to have power in Rome, you had to become a Christian. And if you really wanted power in Rome, you became a priest because the priests held political power and religious power. And so the priests began to take the power and put God back up there. And it got so bad that in the year 1500, by the year 1500, the Holy Roman Catholic Church had become the only church. And the priests basically became the Pharisees of their day. They said there's no way for the everyday people to understand the Bible, to understand God, to understand forgiveness and a relationship with him. They said to the everyday people, to you and to me sitting in the seats, if you really want to know God, you have to come through me because I am the mediator between you and God. And there was a small band of Catholic priests that said something's wrong with that. That's not what we read in the Bible. That's not what we read about Jesus. We read that Jesus was with us, and they were led by a man named Martin Luther, who was a Catholic priest. And, and they said, you know what? Things have gone sideways. They said, we don't want to have a major break from the Roman church. We just want to reform things a little bit. We want to we fix things a little bit. So they called themselves reformers. They said, let's reform things. Let's change it. Let's get back on track. This doesn't have to divide us. Let's just get on track. Well, the Catholic priests in power, they didn't like Martin Luther and these other priests saying things were wrong. And so they excommunicated them from the church. They kicked them out. They told them they were going to hell, which in my opinion just shows that you're leading well. Because if you're leading well, someone's going to tell you you're going to hell. Someone told me that just a month ago. It's very exciting. Um, seriously, call me up. It was like, you're going to hell and you're leading the whole church there. I was like, wow, that's an interesting perspective. Um, but hey, when you're, when you're leading people well, people will stand against you. That's what I realized. Um, and they say, you're going to hell, Martin Luther. And they said, you're not a reformer. You're a protester. 
So the Catholic hierarchy said, this is, this, these are, they're Protestants. They're protesters. And they said, no, we're reformers. And that's where we get the word Protestant Reformation. It was the protesters who were reforming the church. And the Protestant Reformation, led by Martin Luther, because of this idea of top-shelf Christianity, the Protestant Reformation became the biggest split in Christian history, which is why we have the Catholic Church now and the Protestant Church now. And I'm not, I'm not trying to blame the Catholic Church or the Protestant Church. I'll say this. This idea of top-shelf Christianity bleeds into almost every church, Catholic or Protestant, but it caused the biggest split in Christian history. Why? Because Martin Luther was trying to do the same thing that Jesus did with the Pharisees to bring God off the top shelf. Because Martin Luther was trying to do the same thing that John did with the Gnostics to bring God off the top shelf. Because he knew, he knew that transformation happens in relationship with God. And much of what we do at New Life is a response to the history of where we came from. See, that's why um, when you walked in here, if it was your first time and you came from a, a pretty traditional church background, you walked in, you saw that I was the preacher, not the youth pastor, like the actual preacher, wearing all-stars and a shirt, and you thought, that's odd. Priests don't wear that. Where's his collar? I said, I popped it. That's where it is. Why don't we wear robes here at New Life? You ever wonder that? It's because we don't believe that there is a hierarchy. You guys, the pastors, and God, and we don't want to set ourselves apart, so we dress like we dress. That's why I don't expect you to call me Father, unless you're seven and your name is Maddie, or you're four and your name is Landon. They can call me Father, or Daddy, or Pastor Daddy. They like that one these days. I'm, I'm not your father. For some of you, I'm younger than your grandkids. Now, if you want to call me Pastor Kevin, that's fine. That's a sign of respect. I get it. That is totally fine. But listen, I'm just as happy with Kev, Kevin, Kev Dog, Big Kev Dog, BKD, Rev Kev, anything you want. Anything you want. Just don't call me on Tuesday at 10 o'clock at night because I'll be sleeping. That's the only thing you can't call me. You can even call me Todd. I've got a twin brother. I, I responded to Todd my entire life. Call me Todd. That's fine. Why? Because the pastor is not your holy bartender. That's why. That's why we believe that the Bible can be understood by you. That's why we use translations that are understandable. Because I think you can understand the Bible. That's why I don't throw out Hebrew and Greek to show you how smart I am. I know just, listen, honestly, I know just enough Hebrew and Greek to be very dangerous, very dangerous, and make you think I'm super smart when I'm not. That's why we use actual translations of the Bible you can understand because because you don't need me to understand God. That's why why when you came in, you saw these tanks, you thought to yourself, um, they're baptizing people in horse troughs. That is an odd, huh, that's interesting. Because we're not super traditional about how you get baptized. We want to talk about why you get baptized, the power and the purpose of it. That's why you don't have to confess to me before you take communion. We have communion around these tables, and in a little bit, we're going to celebrate communion together. This is what communion is. Communion is where we take a piece of bread, and Jesus says, this bread represents my body that's been broken and given for you when I gave my life on the cross. And we take a cup of juice, and he says, this juice represents my blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. 
He says, do this and remember me. Here's the great thing. Jesus says, you don't have to confess to another person before communion. You can come straight to, to me. Jesus says, there's one mediator between you and God the Father, and it's him, Jesus Christ. And you don't have to come talk to me before you take communion. You can talk straight to God. Isn't that amazing? God pulled himself off the top shelf so we could walk in relationship with him. So for the next three weeks, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my best along with Pastor Ron. I'm going I'm to work to help bring God off the top shelf, to inspire us, to encourage us, to equip us to get God off the top shelf of our lives and into our everyday lives because that's where transformation happens. Next week, I'm talking about the Bible. What's the point of that Bible? What's the point of it? It's the most used, misused, read, um, translated. It, it, it's the book that more wars have been fought over, that more freedom has been found through than any other book in the world. But what's the purpose of the Bible? What's the purpose of it? Because if we don't understand the purpose of it, if we're reading it through the wrong lens, we'll get the wrong outcome. So what's the point of the Bible? We're going to dig into that. Then the next week, I'm just, I'm going to open up, not my shirt, my heart. I'm going to open up my heart and talk about the church, church leadership, What's the point of the church? Where are we going as a church? What do I see? What are we dreaming about? What are we talking about? Because I, wanted, I want you to know that your pastoral team is not your holy bartender that you're go-between, but we're partners on this journey. So we're going to talk about the church. Then the week after that, we're going to talk about prayer. What's the point of prayer? Why do we pray? If God already knows what we're thinking, what, why dive into it? I can't wait. I can't wait. Because this is, this is the pull. This is the pull of Every church is to move towards God on the top shelf. And as a church, new life strives. We exist to pull him off the top shelf so that you can have a relationship with a God who loves you so much. Hey, as we close our services, I want to talk about one more practice. It's this ancient practice called baptism. And once a year or so, I like to kind of press into baptism. Here it is. Here's why we do it. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it represents. So I want to share with you for a few minutes about baptism. And I will say this to begin with. Baptism is for every Jesus follower. For anyone who's ever become a follower of Jesus, baptism is for you. And notice what Paul says about baptism in Romans chapter 6. He says, we are therefore buried with him through baptism. I'm going to talk about that in a second. We're buried with him, with Jesus, through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's why we have these, these, big, these big horse troughs filled with water, warm water, by the way, because we love you. Warm, warm-ish during second service, tempid third service. And he says, here's what baptism represents. It represents you dying to your old way of life. And so we take you, we put you in the water, and we put you under the water because Jesus was crucified and he was buried in a grave and he's there for three days. So we put you under the water to represent dying to your old life. That old life when you used to live for yourself, you were the boss of your own life, you made the rules for yourself. Because when you become a Christian, you die to that and Jesus becomes your leader and your Savior. And so we, we hold you under the water and depending on, on how long you walked by yourself, we hold you down there for a while no, I'm, I'm just kidding. We don't. We don't. We pull you back up, and we have nurses and doctors all over our church. You'll be fine. We pull you right back up, which represents being raised to new life with God. So you go down, dying to your life where you live by yourself and for yourself, and you're raised to new life with God. And the great thing about it is it happens in partnership with God. It says we're buried with Christ, with him, and we're raised with him to new life. And by the way, the word baptism literally means to dip, to sink, to submerge. 
That's why we do water. So you might be wondering, well, that was sprinkled. Like, does that, did that take? Does it count? We're not legalistic. It's not like, well, if you were sprinkled, it doesn't count. But here's what I would say. Biblical baptism, what the Bible talks about, is being submerged under the water. The idea of sprinkling came about after Constantine made Christianity the official religion. It became this religion, kind of like fire insurance, to get out of hell right before you died. And so what people would do is they would live as long as they could, saying, I'm a Christian, but living apart from God. And then on their deathbed, they would say, I confess all my sins for the past 80 years. God, forgive me. And they'd get baptized. But the Catholic Church had an issue. They said, how can we baptize people on their deathbed? If I, if I dunk them in the water, that's it, man. They're dead. And so they said, I know what we'll do. We'll sprinkle their forehead with water and say that's baptism. But really, that's not what the Bible talks about with baptism. That was what they did so that you could live as far from God as you wanted to and still get saved at the very end. That's for ba- And from babies, because they wanted to baptize babies. And they thought, well, we can't just, you know, some of you have thought, you sure? Yeah, they said, you can't just dunk them in the water. So we'll just sprinkle the babies. That's how sprinkling happens. Now, if you've been sprinkled, that doesn't mean that you're not saved by God. It just means that there's more for you in this process of, of dying with Christ and being raised again. It goes on to say this, for we've been united with him in his death, verse 5. We've been united with him in his death. We will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We'll be raised to new life with him and live with him in eternity. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that our body that was ruled by sin Those are those destructive patterns that you can't break free from on your own. That's what sin is. You've laid in bed and thought, I want to break free from this. I shouldn't do that. It's hurting me. It's hurting other people. Then you go on and you keep doing it. That's sin, and it has a hold of your life until Jesus becomes the Lord of your life. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that that body that was ruled by sin could be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been set free from sin baptism represents that freedom of being raised to new life with God. It's this beautiful expression of an inward transformation for us. And we have a number of people who are going to get baptized today, and that's so fun. In just a minute, we're going we're gonna to stand. I'll invite you to take communion around the tables if you want to participate with us. If not, you can just hang out where you are. And then our friends are going to get baptized, and it's going to be this beautiful expression. A number of people have planned on it, which is great. Some of you are here today, and you're Jesus followers, and you've never been baptized. And as I'm explaining this, you're realizing, wow, this is for everybody. That means this is for me too. If that's you and you've never been baptized and you want to, I want to invite you to come and get baptized. There's no prerequisite other than you know God and you've died to that old life and you've been raised to a new life with him. I want to invite you, if you've never been baptized, come forward and get baptized with your clothes on. Just, just come on up. I would say this, take out your cell phone because it will die with Christ in the water. It will not raise, it will not raise again unless you have a lot of rice, Okay but come forward and get baptized. We've got towels for you over here. We've got shirts you can put on over your clothes. We've got everything you need. We'll take pictures so you can share your family. We've got it all. Come up and get baptized. Bring a friend with you. Bring your family with you. Bring your whole row with you. That's fine. If you have a friend who's been instrumental in your faith, have them baptize you. I'll tell them what to do, how to do it. It's very simple. Down, up. (laughs) Have them baptize you. Have me baptize you. I'd love it. I would be honored. Have Pastor Ron baptize you. He'd be honored to do it. Boy, it's going to be a great, a great celebration. And if you're here today, and this is all new, and you've never entered into a relationship with God, he's always been on the top shelf of your life. It's time to bring him off. It's time to bring him off. And here's how you do it. You can just pray and say, God, I want to have a relationship with you. 
there's no magic formula. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you through some words, but they're just mostly to put words to what's going on inside your heart. You don't have to say a magic prayer, but you can just say to God, I want to have a relationship with you, and he hears and responds to that. So let's pray together, and then we'll celebrate baptism. We'll celebrate communion. Would you join me? Let's close our eyes and let's pray together. And if you're here and you're ready to commit your life to God, you can go ahead and repeat these words after me. You can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. I believe that you, that you gave your life so that I could be forgiven. And I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? God, would you fill me with your spirit so that I will know that I'm with you always? And would you show me how to walk in partnership with you every day for the rest of my life? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.